Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi, everyone, and welcome to My Millennium Money Medical. Now, this is part two of the Q&A series. I couldn't fit in all of the questions in the last episode because it was just going a little bit too long. Now, we can't do this podcast without the support of Altus Financial. As a full-service financial advisory business, they can help you in many ways, whether that be your requirements on general business advice, structuring and use of multiple entities for tax minimization, or asset protection purposes to protect you for the extra risk we take on as medical professionals, or sounding board and ideas you have on your business. Check out altusfinancial.com.au. We've got four more questions in this episode, so let's get started. Now, I've got a few more questions, and don't forget the three aims of this podcast channel, education, empowerment, and entertainment. The first question comes from Anon, who asks, are ETFs and manage funds the same thing. Now, Anon, no, they're not, in the sense that they may be tracking the same thing, but not the same structure. Now, ETFs are financial products which can track the index if it's passively managed. You can get actively managed ETFs as well. But the difference here is that ETFs can be bought and sold multiple times during the day. And this means they're packaged just like a share. And it also means they are tradable and that's critical. So you can buy and sell them and trade them multiple times a day. So that means that ETFs behave like stocks. And it means you need a middleman, the broker. Now, refer to the broker episode that I did recently. And I talk about all the different fees that brokers charge, some of the ways that they make money. And we also go through some live examples of some of the existing brokers in Australia, some of the popular ones, and we break down the pros and cons of each of those. Now, managed funds, on the other hand, are financial products which can also track the index if it's passively managed. You can get actively managed funds, but managed funds are not listed on the stock exchange, which means you can buy them directly from a company which provides them, like Vanguard, BlackRock or State Street, for example. Now, if you're a long-term investor, in my humble opinion, it's much of a muchness. But you may find ETFs work out marginally cheaper in the long term, depending on the number of times you want to put money into them. Now, the whole thing about structures of managed funds being inefficient tax-wise, I think is just overblown. Because if you're a long-term investor and you're mainly buying and you're never selling. And most managed fund investors that invest passively are long-term investors. 
you're not readily selling and buying managed funds weekly or even monthly. In fact, you're a net buyer of investments, which means your realised capital gains is almost zero most of the time. That's if everyone else is doing what you're doing. Now, in my view, you just need to pick a style of investing and you need to stick with it. And you may want to refer to my episode 33 for more information about the two types, ETFs and managed funds. But I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about, you know, whether managed funds are going to cost you a little bit more or ETFs are going to cost you a little bit more, etc. Because what's costing you a little bit more is not investing. That is the biggest risk. And when I talk to people, I speak to a lot of people and one of the things that they always say to me is, I've always been meaning to invest and I've done so much research, Dev, over the last you know few months or a few years even, but they never invest. And of course, not being in the market, not being invested is the biggest risk. So hopefully, Anon, that answers your question. Now, the next question comes from a dentist called Kalyan, who asks, I had a good question from one of my associates. How often do you put money into your super if you're self-employed? And when is it better to just keep it in your offset account? It's a great question. Essentially, the question boils down to, should you invest into super and how often compared to paying down your mortgage, which is essentially like putting money into an offset account? Now, coming back to basics, you need to work out your risk profile before you do anything with your money. And I'm assuming that your friend, Kalyan, doesn't have any consumer debts because if they do, they need to get rid of it. So how do you work out your risk profile? I've talked about this in previous episodes. This is what you need to know. You need to know your age, assuming your health is good, your stage of life, the number of dependents, if any, your personal tolerance for volatility, your investing runway. In other words, how long do you plan to invest? Your capacity to earn an income, And lastly, and this is specific to superannuation, what is your cash flow situation? Now, refer to episode 52 for topics on cash flow, line of credit, etc. Now, let's assume your cash flow is good and you don't need the money for the long term. How do you work out the rate of return in keeping money in your offset? The rule of thumb formula that I use is, and it's not the best and accurate formula, but it is a rule of thumb formula, is your real rate of return, that is your tax-free return, because when you sell your home, it's tax-free. This is home that you live in compared to an investment home because no capital gains is paid on homes that you live in. So the real return equals interest rates divided by one minus marginal tax rate. Let's go through that in more detail. So Kalyan, you're a dentist. Let's assume it's for you. I know it's for your colleague and I don't know what profession they are, but you'd be in the highest marginal tax rate at some stage in your career. Now, let's assume that's 45%, excluding Medicare levy. Now, let's say your mortgage rate is 3.1%, ever rising with the RBA increasing their rates and, of course, all the big four banks and all the other banks raising their rates in recent times. 
Therefore, to calculate your real return is 3.1 divided by 1 minus 0.45, which is 45%, which is your marginal tax rate. And therefore, the formula is 3.1 divided by 0.55, which is 5.63%. What that means is, if you have a mortgage interest rate of 3.1%, every dollar that you put into the offset or pay that mortgage off, you're getting an instant return of 5.63%, provided it's the home that you live in. Because a lot of people get this wrong because they say, that because the interest rate is 3.1%, if they pay a dollar into it, their return is 3.1%. Well, it's not. It's close to 5.5%. And that's really important to understand. Now, this is a rough rule of thumb. There are two parts to this result. One is it calculates your, you know, before tax returns. In this particular case, it's tax-free because you don't pay any tax on the home that you sell, that you live in. And the second thing is, and this is critical, it's guaranteed return. And it's the guaranteed portion that people often neglect to understand the importance of. Now, suppose we want to invest in super. Let's get to the super part of things. There are a few things that you need to consider. How often do you put money into it? Now, my general philosophy on super is, Number one, it's awesome. Number two is don't use it for circumstances other than what it's designed to do unless it's extremely urgent. And number three is tax effectiveness of super is unbeatable. Now, the other thing about super is it gives you a long-term perspective and I think people should maximise it at every opportunity and not to ignore it. Recently, I've done a three-part series on super So you need to review that and understand every single concept there to maximize it. Personally, if you're self-employed and have the cash flow, I just plug $27,500 every year on the 1st of July. That way you don't forget and it's done and dusted. And if you do it over the long term, that's kind of like dollar cost averaging anyway. Now, if cash flow is a problem, then I would do it monthly. This is very similar to investing outside of super where you may wish to dollar cost average on a monthly basis into your investments. I've done an episode on this called Dollar Cost What? in episode 16, back in the day if you're interested in that concept. Now to answer the question, things to consider if putting money into the offset versus super. Number one is you need to calculate your tax rates. If you're on a higher tax rate, as Kalyan, you would be at some stage in your life, your contribution tax if you contribute concessionally to your super fund, is only 15%. So if you're paying 40, 45% tax and you sacrifice some money into your super, you can get an instant return on your money of 30%. Now, a recent listener who's an international maths champion actually corrected me by saying that if you're on a 45% tax bracket and you get a 15% tax on your super. Now, I sort of just assumed on a rough calculation, it's actually a 30% return on your money and that's guaranteed an instant. He actually told me, and he did some sums, it's actually more than that. So, shout out to the international maths champion who actually worked it out that your return is actually more than 30%.
But either way, even if you just get 30% return on your money, this literally craps all over the hypothetical 5.3% return we just calculated based on a marginal tax rate of 45% and interest rate of 3.1%. The second thing is flexibility. Super doesn't offer you any flexibility, but offset accounts do. If you run into cash flow problems, it's much easier accessing your offset than your super. People found that the hard way in 2020, when COVID hit, when government intervention was required for people to actually access their super because they didn't have any other money. Now, number three is personality and your personal situation. To me, what makes me sleep better at night nowadays is having low amounts of personal debt, if not zero. So if you're like me, I maximized my super. Then what I did was I plowed as much money into my offset account and reached equilibrium. Now, if you're debt free, you're unlikely to go bankrupt or be evicted from your house. So it's a sense of freedom, which is indescribable. And number four is I maximize my super. I want to have as much money in my super as possible due to the tax advantage status of it all. And this includes me having to pay the Div 293 tax. For me, it's still worth it. So hopefully that clarifies your question about whether to pay money into super or put money into the offset account and some basic calculations on the return of money and some basic calculations on some of the risk profiles and also some of the things that you need to consider, including flexibility, personality, and tax rates. So thanks, Kalyan, for that question. Now, the next question comes from Anon, who asks, how do you deal with award rates in your profession when the union is not strong enough to get good starting wages? For example, pharmacy. Now, unfortunately, award rate negotiations are up to the union and the government or between the union and your private sector. But what you can do is you've got to be engaged with your union. Be a member. Without engagement and membership, it's like politics. You will get a candidate who's just crap and they won't vouch for your profession and your rights. Now, I'm an AMA member, which is an Australian Medical Association member. I pay my fees, which is not cheap. I think it's like fourteen to $1,500 a year. So it's quite expensive. And I have engaged with a local state AMA representative if I have any issues because I'm employed by the state government. And if there's any pay issues or any entitlement issues, I do send an email to the AMA to clarify my rights. That's what the 1500 bucks that I pay for gives me. In addition to some perks, you know, I think they have affiliations with some companies where I can get some discounts, etc., which I don't really use very much. I think the biggest problem is disengagement is a real problem in healthcare. Let's face it, it's been a tough two and a half years. And I don't know about you, but I get the feeling I'm being screwed repeatedly by one, the patient, two, the hospital system, three, the government, aka the public wage freeze in Victoria. So there's a lot of factors that can bring you down. But you need to hang in there. The only way this works is if we as healthcare workers band together and engage with our respected professional unions or bodies and use them as a route to the people who make the rules about pay and conditions and workloads. Now, this has happened in recent federal elections where people were just fed up with the Liberal government. Now, even if you're pro-Liberal government or pro-Labor, it doesn't really matter, people were just fed up. 
So it shows engagement at the political level, engagement at the local level, and engagement at the union level is really important. Without it, change really comes. And once changes comes, you've got to hold the new people accountable. I'm looking at you, Albanese. So never accept payment below the award rates in your profession, even if they say, in quote, we will retrospectively pay you once contracts are signed. That's a sign of a red flag in a public hospital or private organisation. And there's a high risk that you'll be screwed. And I think if you know someone who's not paid properly, call it out. Tell them their rights. Tell them that they're not being paid properly. The number of times that at work or people that I know who we've chatted to and said, hey, Dev, what's your hourly rate? Because in Victoria, if you're on a public hospital system, you get paid an EBA wage, enterprise bargaining agreement. It's a set standard based on the number of hours you do and your year level specialist you are. It's simple. It's transparent. It's public information. Now, some people don't get paid what they're entitled to. They may be year four specialists and they may be getting year one specialist rates. Other people may be getting year two specialist rates when they're actually year four. This happens quite a lot. And unless you exchange those numbers and unless you tell your colleagues and ask them, hey, I'm getting paid year two rates and I don't know how it works in pharmacy, but in medicine, if I tell someone I'm getting paid year two rates, year two registrar rates or year two resident rates or I'm getting paid intern rates or year two specialist rates, whatever it is, or year two fellow rates, but I'm actually year four, I'm getting underpaid, unless I check my timesheet, my payslip, check with medical workforce, check with the state representative AMA, check with my colleagues, there's no reference point. And I think today it's very important that we all do our work, obviously as best as we possibly can, and get paid for the work that we do. Now, I don't know the specifics of the EBA in pharmacy, but read the document and learn about it. I'm forever answering questions from doctors who don't know the EBA in Victoria for medical doctors and specialists or training doctors or doctors in training or registrars. So I think knowing the document and using it as a reference point is really important. Hopefully that answers your question. The next question comes from Michelle, who asks, I understand your podcast is mainly for younger people. I'm in my early 50s and would appreciate some episodes aimed at those of us coming late to learning about money and best strategies when you're starting late. Loving the podcast and thank you for what you do. Uh, Michelle, thanks for the question. Now, I didn't think my channel was mainly aimed at younger people. So I'm sorry if that comes across that way, but that's not the intention. The aim of the channel is to basically discuss financial principles at any age, which are very relevant. So the concept of pay yourself first or investing early as much as you possibly can, even in your early 50s or maximizing your super or being tax effective or protecting your assets or asset allocation or dollar cost averaging or fees matter, etc. Those concepts don't change no matter what age you are. So... Um, but you did raise a good idea, uh, and I suspect I am planning one for the future. Um, and what I intend to do is perhaps have episodes based on decades of people's lives, maybe some of the top things that people should do 
in their 20s, maybe 30s and 40s, maybe 50s and 60s. That's a really good tip. And for me, for planning such episodes, there's a bit of a lag. Um, So I'm about, you know, eight weeks ahead. And hopefully, you know, people realise that I put a lot of thought and effort into my episodes, um, you know, and also organised transcripts, etc. So please bear with me, but you have raised a very good point, and that is maybe I will do a series called Life Series Focusing on Decades of People's Lives. And in that would be what to do or some of the top things that you could do in your 50s and 60s. That's a good tip. So thank you very much for that. Now, I've got a few more questions. Before we go to that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we've got a couple of questions from a pharmacist and also a question about tax deductions. So we'll be right back after this break. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. We've got a couple more questions before we finish up this episode, but just another thanks to Altus Financial for getting behind My Millennium Money Medical. We can't do this without them, whether you're established in your career with a solid income and looking for next steps, or you're after advice about buying into, selling, or opening your first practice. Altus Financial can help. Altus is offering a complimentary 15-minute chat for anyone who wants to discuss their scenario with their professional team. Click the link in the show notes for more information. Now, the next question comes from Madeline, who's a pharmacist, who asks, healthcare workers are rarely high income earners, in quotations, unless you're a specialist or an experienced doctor. Slightly controversial there, Madeline, but anyway. How do we turbocharge our income? My dad told me when I was at uni, pharmacy will pay the bills, but investing will make you wealthy. Now, Madeline, your dad is spot on. I don't know much about pharmacist incomes because the public perception is every pharmacist sets up a pharmacy and we know that's not true. And the public perception, and even some doctors think think this, that pharmacists make a huge killing. Now, I know that's not true for every pharmacist. And yes, there are some pharmacists who make a good income, particularly for own pharmacies. An employee pharmacist doesn't make that much money. 
which may come as a surprise to a lot of the other healthcare workers and non-healthcare workers out there. Now, your dad is generally right. People get wealthy either via business or investments. Generally speaking, earning a million dollars and being worth a million dollars is a totally different concept. So to use your example, doctors, some of them earn a million or $2 million, but a lot of them are not even worth two or $3 million. So earning that much money is different from being worth that much money. Now the tax system in Australia favors assets. People who own assets are favored because assets are not taxed the same as income. So wherever possible, reduce your taxable income and build wealth by owning assets. So there's a saying that I'm sure you've heard, try not to buy an iPhone, try and own Apple. One very good example is capital gains tax. Capital gains tax gets a 50% discount if the asset is owned for greater than 12 months in Australia. But you don't pay any capital gains unless you sell the investment. So in my case, I have an index fund portfolio. I haven't sold a thing. And that has a lot of capital gains. But because I haven't realised it, because I haven't sold it, I don't pay any tax on those capital gains. In Australia and most of the world, you don't pay any tax on investments which rise in value provided you hold them and don't sell them. That's a bit of a point in contention. Is that the right approach? Is that the wrong approach? Now, that's a socio-political debate we can have but it is what it is. If you don't sell your assets, you don't pay any tax. Let's use an example to highlight this principle. Amy is a wealthy industrialist and has a net worth of about $100 million. Amy wants to buy another company to expand her industrial portfolio. She doesn't have $100 million in her bank account, so she can't just go up to a company and buy it. She simply doesn't have that much money, but she's worth $100 million. Her net worth is $100 million. Amy can use her investment assets as collateral in order to borrow more money, which may be tax deductible, and use that money to buy another company to expand her portfolio. Now, why is this advantageous for Amy? If she sells any of her assets, she will realise her capital gains and may end up owing the government more money in taxation. She doesn't have $100 million in her account, and it wouldn't be wise to do this. Any expenses related to borrowings used to invest is generally tax deductible. And this is why wealthy people often borrow money to live their lives rather than sell down any of her assets. It's a pretty gnarly system when you think about it, which favours people who own assets rather than people who trade time for income. This is why becoming an owner of something is far more important and powerful rather than becoming a worker all the time. Now, to answer your specific question about turbocharging your income, here are my top tips. Number one, you've got to find your niche within your profession because the best at it and try and be the best at it and then exploit it to the max. You may wish to write down a goal of income and it may be staring you right back. It gives you some motivation. Now, money isn't everything. But it is something. I don't buy the crap that people say it's not important. I think that's rubbish. I think it is important. But it's not the most important thing in your life. 
So pay attention to it so it looks after you. Number two is look for tax efficiency and effectiveness. You may not need to turbocharge your income. You may just not be making appropriate tax planning steps to minimise your taxes legally. Again, if you minimise your taxes using existing regulations and not do anything illegal, that's okay. You're not doing anything wrong. So tax efficiency is different to tax evasion. Number three is you need to have a side hustle. I think in Australia, gone are the days a single income can raise a family. And that single income is from a person who's worked at a place for 40 years from start to finish. On average, Australians change jobs 12 times in their lifetime. Times have changed, so we need to change. I remember as a med student, I used to have a pretty successful eBay business. I used to import stuff from overseas and sell them. I did drop shipping. I did all sorts of side hustles. I was a university tutor. I was a research scientist doing phlebotomy. All of that provided extra income as part-time income in addition to the scholarship money that I was receiving for medical school. And I think I've always had a side hustle. Podcasting is a side hustle. I tutor, even now, side hustle. I provide education sessions to registrars as a side hustle. Even I have a side hustle. So I think it's really important that you need to think outside the realms of pharmacy. Number four is you've got to learn and you've got to learn again. During the early years of my wealth building journey, I was obsessive about learning new information. I still am. I don't pay attention to the news, but I pay attention to concepts and principles. I watch a lot of YouTube about money. I engage in social media posts because I learn from other people. And if lied correctly in a wealth of information, in fact, I'm constantly listening to podcasts while I drive, run, exercise. So information is constantly seeping into my brain, hopefully. So learning, I think, is a really important thing. Number five is you've got to pay attention to your super. It's the single most useful wealth building tool we have in this country, hands down. Number six is pay attention to your expenses. Now, it's important to minimise expenses, but notice you can only go down to zero. That's why focusing on expenses alone is not going to make you wealthy. You need to focus on your income and focus on your investments. Number seven is learn the power of compounding. Now, some years ago, I had a five-figure dividend income. Very quickly, that became a six-figure dividend income. And I'm pretty sure at some stage in my life, I'm probably going to have a seven-figure dividend income. Now, I've done my sums and it's highly unlikely I will ever reach an eight-figure dividend income. Nor am I aiming to. It all happens pretty quickly. So, start early. Don't muck around and try not to time the market. Number eight is you probably want to plan for 60 to 70% of your pre-retirement income when you retire. So work backwards and learn about drawdown strategies. I've done an episode on this called Deaccumulation Strategies in episode 125. Check it out. You may find it useful. Now, Madeline, I hope you found those tips useful to turbocharge your income and to become an owner of assets 
rather than just a high income earner. Now, the last question comes from Anon, who asks, what are some of the unexpected things that we can claim on tax? Now, I've done a tax series in 2021, and I think most of it is still very relevant. Just open the channel and search for episodes 94 to 99, and then episode 107. It goes into real detail about taxation in Australia. I also did a recent episode with Andrew Haber, who is from Altus Financial, so you may be interested in that episode as well. But here are some of my top little-known tax deductions that you may be interested in. Number one, ATO interest on your tax debt may be claimable as a deduction, maybe. Now, there are complex rules around this, so check with the ATO website and your accountant for them. Number two is the cost of managing tax affairs, your accountant bills and visits, they're claimable. Number three is gifts and donations to charities, also claimable. Number four is political campaign donations. Now, in some cases, yes, they're claimable. The limit is usually $1,500 per candidate and a total of $1,500 per party. Number five is expenses associated with investments, leverage products, property, etc. Claimable. But this is where you need to learn about capital expenses versus expenses for maintenance, particularly when it comes to property. I talk about this specifically in episode 107, where I discuss this in detail when it comes to property and also refer to episode 64, where I specifically discuss capital gains and losses. Number six, tech products. Depreciation and decline in value, claimable, provided it's used for work purposes. Number seven, financial advisory cost. Tricky, sometimes claimable. You need to check. Number eight, travel to and from tax appointments and financial advice appointments. Now, I think reasonable travel is claimable. I had a doctor who routinely travelled interstate for their tax affairs. I'm pretty sure that's not claimable. But again, check with your accountant. Number nine, super contributions. Simple and effective. Yep, concessional contributions, claim a deduction, referred to my superannuation series I just did on this recently. Now, there are heaps and heaps of other deductions, like work laundry expenses, etc. I go into specific details about this in the tax series done in 2021, so well worth a listen. The principles and concepts haven't changed. I've also included car deductions and how to claim it, based on various ways, and it also includes any COVID-related claims, but I think that ended in June 30th, 2022, I think. Now, that's about it for this episode, part two of the Q&A. Hopefully you found this useful. Stay tuned for more episodes and remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you may be using or just leave a five-star review on all the platforms. That's even better. And please leave a positive review. The more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to the podcast. So please keep them coming. My name's Dev Raga from My Millennium Money Medical. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. 
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.